0: This week's edition of the Northeast Newscast is brought to you by the Kansas City Renaissance Festival. Open 10 a.m. to 7 p.m. every weekend through October 15th, rain or shine. Enjoy free parking, theme weekends, 20 stages of live entertainment, and dozens of family-friendly activities. To learn more or to plan your trip to the Kansas City Renaissance Festival, visit kcrenfest.com. Thank you for tuning in to another edition of the Northeast Newscast. I'm your host, Paul Thompson, and I'll be joined this week by Kent Dykus, the president of the Northeast Kansas City Historical Society. We'll begin with a preview of the sixth annual Fall Homes Tour, set for Saturday, October 14th from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. in the Pendleton Heights neighborhood. Dykus goes into detail about some of the homes that will be featured on this year's tour including the famed Tiffany Castle, which hasn't been featured on any such tour since 1990, more than a quarter of a century. He'll also provide a progress report on the next edition of his Northeast History Book, discuss his Mystery House series on Facebook and what his motivation was for starting that in the first place, touch on the future of the Jackson County Historical Society, which Executive Director Steve Knoll will be retiring from at the end of the year, and finally, Dykus will discuss the relationship between economic development and historic preservation and discuss where he draws the line when it comes to stepping up on behalf of historic structures throughout the area. Here's my conversation with Northeast Kansas City Historical Society President Kent Dykus. All right. Paul Thompson here with Kent Dykus, Northeast Kansas City Historical Society President, actually in his beautiful home right now. So thank you so much for inviting me in here for this interview.
1: You're welcome, Paul. Thanks for coming.
0: And no problem at all. Well, I think on it's October fourteenth, right? Saturday from it looks like we got ten A. M. to three PM. We'll have the sixth incarnation of the Fall Homes Tour, sponsored by Uh, Northeast Kansas City Historical Society and I think we should probably start by talking about that and letting people know a little bit about what to expect. Uh, One little tidbit that I got ahead of our conversation today, because I did do a little bit of research (laughs) uh, was that that Tiffany Castle is going to be a part of the Homes Tour, which uh, is notable, I think, because at as, as you said before we started here, it hasn't been featured on a home's tour for a quarter of a century since uh, the, the early 1990s. Can you maybe talk about that and, and, and how you got them in the fold for this time?
1: You bet. Good question. Um, yeah, the Tiffany Castle will be on our tour this year. Mm-hmm. Just a little bit of history, and I'll catch up a little bit talking about this tour. This is the sixth year we've done a tour in October. It's obviously the fall of every year, and we move our tours around to different neighborhoods within the northeast area. Mm -hmm. We've covered actually all six neighborhoods at one point or another, so this year just happens to be in Pendleton Heights. Mm -hmm. So when we, you know, we like to think we're getting bigger and stronger every year with our tours. We Mm -hmm. increase the number of people that come from outside the area as well as as from inside the northeast area. It's
0: it's kind of a regional draw. It is, Mm -hmm. it
1: really is, and actually we have people who now drive across the states and several states to come here, North Carolina and Michigan, you know, obviously the uh, Midwestern area as well. But it's really um, quite a draw. We have people wanting to know before they do the draw, the drive rather, you know what what houses are on the tour what's mm. it about you know what's going on that weekend right. in the city so it's we have a, it's a destination for a lot of folks as the years go by and they get a lot of confidence that the tour we have is going to be a nice event
0: and i saw that you guys have done some teasers on facebook and things like that to kind of show people or give everybody a, a little bit of a glimpse of what to expect but
1: yeah good point um we there are some facebook postings and we um, we've advertised obviously we have a, um an ad going in the northeast news either this week or next mm-hmm. and um we have a billboard going on over I-29, I-35, oh, so cool. that's um, promoting our houses as well that are on the tour. So every year we try to tweak it a little bit to where we think we can get, you know, more people to know about it and, and come. And so, you know, we kind of shift it around and tr- kind of put our money where we think we're going to get the get the draw for the the attendance.
0: Right, and obviously one of those draws uh, I have to imagine would be that that Tiffany Castle, uh, especially since no no member of the public really, unless you're you know, we're looking to buy it or something, has had a chance to go in there for 25 years or so. It's
1: yeah, that's a great point. The um, You're right, it was on tour in 1990, mm-hmm. and that was the last time that that the house has been on tour. Um, some of the others on the tour this year have been on um, tour before, some of, others have not. The Tiffany Castle, though, it just sold last year to a gentleman and his girlfriend who live in o- Overland Park. Mm-hmm. And so to have someone come into the city, they fell in love with the house, they knew exactly, you know, what they wanted to buy. They weren't going to be talked out of it. Um, yeah, so they did it, and they, you know, they're learning. They've closed. Uh, I think it was a year ago this month. In fact, that they closed on the house, and they're learning, as we all do with these old houses. You, you know, you think you're going to dump X amount of money into it to bring it back, and it ends up being three times that. Right. But they, they love the house. They both of those folks are great additions to the Northeast area. They believe in the area. They go to activities in the area. Um, they're they're really urban folks, that even though they happen to live outside the city at the moment, but they will um, move to the castle within the next few months. Oh, really? Yeah. Now,
0: uh, how did you get to meet them, and, and how did that conversation go? It sounds like maybe they were eager to be involved.
1: You know, great. They, they um, a little over a year ago, maybe a year and a half, John Bordeaux, who is the the uh, gentleman who bought the castle came by here. I'm not sure how he'd seen my name if it had been some Facebook posting or and you know looking in the area, but he had seen the house and was interested in it. and so I know he wanted to kind of get to know the area and what some of the neighbors were like. so somehow or another, he stumbled on us and mm-hmm. he did come by the house. And we had a very uh, amicable conversation. You know, he really wanted to, he is a lawyer, so he has some very poignant questions mm. on the good of the neighborhood, the bad, you know, what's changed, which way is it going. Mm. So he asked some really relevant questions before he decided to invest in the castle.
0: Wow. And it sounds like they're really proud of, of the work they're doing there. It, for, for somebody who's maybe not been around the area as long as, as others, what can they expect when they, when they walk into that castle and get a chance to see what's inside of it now? You know, until they bought it, till John and Cindy bought it, I had never been in it either, mm-hmm. and
1: um, it had been owned by a, a lady who had owned it for many, many years and didn't open it up to the public, so when it sold and John did open it up, I had no idea what to expect. I, I think I went on that home's tour back in 1990, but I didn't remember anything about the inside, mm-hmm. but it's absolutely beautiful. The woodwork is all still original, and it's just gleaming. It's not since they haven't moved in yet, it's not furnished. Mm-hmm. You know there aren't there isn't a whole lot of furniture and a whole lot of decorating yet, but they have done a ton of work on uh, polishing it up, cleaning it painting the walls, bringing it back to life, and making it really just a, it, it's just every bit as gorgeous as it was when it was built in the early 1900s.
0: Now, what's the address of that one again? I know they, I think it's six homes that are going to be on the tours, all right? That's right. And the castle's 100 Garfield Avenue. Okay. Now, in addition to that, I think I wrote down a couple. It looks like uh, the rest of them, there's one at 1836 Pendleton, 308 Garfield, 400 Garfield, 1713 Pendleton, 1836 Pendleton, 1841 Pendleton. And I think one of those is SBN, right? Yeah, the one on uh, 535 Garfield Avenue
1: is the school. Um, Mm. Yes, SBN. So School of Unova, they've been nice enough to be on a couple of our tours before over the years, but they're doing it again this year. They're very proud of their... Uh, work they've done in their school and it's a real asset.
0: Yeah, and I knew that. I know that they were renovating the rectory most recently. I haven't had a chance to see it since the summer, so that'll yeah. be an opportunity for people to see how how that progress is. That's going right. Too. That's right. So, um, well, I know it's probably hard for you to say, especially since you're working with all of these. But outside of the castle, which we've already jumped into, is there any one that you think will be of particular interest to people who are going on this tour? You know, the good thing about
1: what we like to do on our tour is we don't just have, like, all big homes, all old homes, all small homes. Mm -hmm. You know, we like to have a variety. So what we do is actually this year that we do happen to have at least three or four pretty good-sized houses. Mm -hmm. And they all happen to be fairly old. However, one of them, the one at 1731 Pendleton Avenue, is a short-waist house. So by current standards, it's still a pretty good-sized house. It's not the largest on our tour, but it's in the process of being um, gutted and completely rehabbed, hmm. and it's funny how you know our guests like to see not just finished homes and you know all decorated and all that, and they're wonderful to see. But they also like to see what goes into them, right. because if you don't do it right when you're restoring it you're gonna end up having to do it later or you're gonna pay the price
0: for it. Right, you you gotta go in there with the eyes wide open, I think, uh, on these uh, rehabs. I I remember I went on the uh, Pendleton Heights homes tour last year and the first one I went into was one that had recently been purchased that just was pretty much a gut rehab job. So I think that's one of the ones, if if, if you're interested in moving into one of these old homes, uh, you go in there and and you actually see, okay, you're gonna have to roll up the sleeves a little bit on this stuff, but there's, uh, It's also really easy to see the potential in these houses, so I think that's pretty cool, too. uh, What's the oldest house on the tour?
1: I think the oldest is this house that you're in, 308 Garfield Avenue and 1836 Pendleton Avenue. Mm -hmm. They were both built in 1887, 1888 era. Um, It's interesting about the two houses that are on the tour. Also, they... um, this house has 23 stained glass panels, mm-hmm. still original, still in the house, mm-hmm. I, and, and the Palazzola house on Pendleton <coughs> Avenue probably has about the same. It's interesting to see just in the stained glass windows how similar some of them are. None of them are identical, but some might have a certain pattern that we see woven into the um, other house and vice versa. So we suspect that our architects were the same, but we're we're not sure. Huh. But they're the two oldest, 18 late 1880s.
0: Interesting. So what? If somebody maybe wants to participate in a future tour, what do they need to do to get a hold of you, to, to get involved? Uh, is there a process by which they need to apply? How does that work?
1: It's funny you ask that too because over the years, you know, it seemed like at the beginning, you know, we were knocking on doors and begging people to participate mm-hmm. and, you know, and, it, it, and usually they do it and sometimes they're kind of reluctant but they go along with it. But now it seems like every year and they've already had a couple of different. Folks say, if you do it in Indian Mound next year, if you do it in scare it next year, I want to be a part of it. Mm. So people are now speaking up more because, as you mentioned earlier, um, they are proud of the work they've done in their homes. They're proud of the history, um, and they want to show it off a little bit to people that will appreciate it. So it sounds like
0: uh, the interest is just picking up as it the is. crowds get bigger every year. Right. It is.
1: Yeah, it, it does. And uh, it's nice, too, because, as I mentioned earlier, we like to move it around to different neighborhoods within the Northeast area. Mm. So to me, and they don't all have to be huge. They don't all have to be spanking clean or totally updated. You know, that's that's where you go and you appreciate some of the work that's either going into it or the potential that it has. OK, cool.
0: And so just to make sure I get this right, this is going to happen on Saturday, October 14th from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m., and I believe I saw that it's $15 if you pay in advance, $18 if you show up on the day of. Yes, that's exactly right, and that's generally it. the tour will start at Scuola
1: Vita okay. Nova, down the street, sure. or, and so um, that's where like we'll have a food truck, and well, that's where our sales tent will be, and then it'll be beautiful weather, I'm guaranteed, so we'll <laughs> we'll go, uh, you know, you can just walk up the street, and down, you know, the castle will be the opposite end, of course, Right. and then Pendleton Avenue kind of splits off Garfield Avenue, and as you mentioned, there are like three houses on that street. So.
0: Cool. And if, for those who maybe do want to participate in the future, I know you mentioned before that, that you've opened up your home several times before. What kind of advice would you give to somebody who is considering opening up their house to the public? Anything that was a, a hiccup or something you tripped over, maybe, uh, when you did it the first time? Yeah, I think a lot of folks,
1: you know, they're reluctant to be on a homes tour because they think, oh, my house isn't fancy or doesn't have any history or I have too much work to do. Right. But it really, and as we constantly are telling some of the folks as they gear up to the um, for the tour, that really isn't all that important. Um, you know, we want it to look as nice as it can. However, we all realize they have to, at some point, go through a stage or two where they're being gutted or demolished inside or or redone to where it's you want to keep as much original detail as you can but it has to be by 21st century standards you want to have HVAC you want to have good plumbing right. you know there there comes a time you're you're not really into the old bathrooms or kitchens, if they're already gone, you know, you don't really want something that's 25 years old because it's not—it's already not original. Right. So you do want those to be as current as possible and up to, you know, 21st century standards.
0: Where do the people go to get tickets ahead of time?
1: Good question. Um, you can get them a couple of different ways. Some folks um, mail in checks to our P.O. box, which is on our website, okay. um, or they can go on to our website again and um, go through Eventbrite purchase their tickets with a credit card or debit card Mm -hmm. what we'll do in all cases if they prepay we'll get their um, payment of course and we'll put the booklets aside for them which the booklets are the passes to get school on
0: excellent cool well um, the other thing i wanted to ask you about was this latest edition of your your northeast history book highlighting the homes of the area this next one that you're working on is going to feature homes throughout the northeast if i'm not mistaken right That's right. Um, We came
1: out, I think it was in 2014, with the more recent book, and that uh, included properties across all six Northeast neighborhoods. And so the second book that we have will do the same, and um, it'll also feature properties again across the six areas. The way we generated the funding and the interest is um, anyone who wanted to include a property in the northeast area um, in the book they could, mm-hmm. and I think it costs like fifty or sixty dollars to have your home included, and we'll include history and pictures of the home, um, and then you'll get a copy of the book once it comes out. Nice. So that was kind of a little seed money to help us get prepared to go to the publisher, right? Um, and then of course we'll have a few extra copies that we'll sell after they come out, and we'll hopefully break a break even.
0: So as far as the uh, the highlighting the homes go do you rely on them to provide or the homeowner to provide the history or do you go in and dig through records how do you figure that stuff out
1: yeah the um, whatever the homeowners can share with us if Mm -hmm. they know anything we'd love to take that information um, and kind of use that as a place to start we meaning the historical society subscribe to several online um, historic websites newspapers Mm -hmm. uh, magazines whatever and just it's helpful because then if the homeowners do know a little bit of information we have a place to start and if they know who lived there in 1987 we can kind of back up over the years and figure out when they got there and kind of work our way back to when the house was built so with their uh, paid sponsorship to be in the book we do the history um, we validate meaning we source all of our statements that mm-hmm. we say in the book. We want to make sure that we're as accurate as possible. So There's a way to do some cross-checking, essentially. There right is. Right off the bat. Yeah, yeah, there is. And you, you'll, know, you'll, you'll hear some things that from the homeowners that they've been told, and they're not always accurate. Um, right. But, you know, we'll, we'll work with that. And I think they understand that not everything they're told by word of mouth may be 100%
0: accurate. And half and the then, time, they probably are trying to like, get some verification right. of these facts when they're saying, I don't know, that's almost too good to be true, right? Right, exactly,
1: hmm. yeah.
0: Cool. So how's that going? What's progress like? When, when do you, you expect to get something out on that front? Great.
1: Yeah. The um, I don't think the book, the, sec, the most recent book, will be out this year. Okay. I think it'll be after the first of the year. We, have, we had a certain number that we wanted to include in the book, and it's 151 chapters. That's how many we had in the last one. Mm-hmm. So once we hit that number, we closed it. So anybody who wanted to be included beyond that, we just couldn't accommodate. But we um, so we drew the line at 151 different properties, and so um, we have pretty much finished our research, which was taking place over the last couple of years mm-hmm. by our volunteers on our board. And so um, we're gonna we've actually started the layout of the book with the software that does the publishing for us. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but we just we're not really quite ready. The weekend after the homes tour, we're going to be taking the photographs of the exteriors of the properties um so we'll have those included in the write-ups as well and i would say it'll probably be february when it comes out
0: okay cool how do you decide where within those 151 pages an individual property goes is it, what kind of process is that
1: yeah it, it's it's kind of, what it, the way we did it is we took like the six neighborhoods And, you know, we alphabetized them, so like um, the first one I think is uh, Independence Plaza and Sheffield happens to be the last. Mm -hmm. So those are the six sections all the way through the book. Mm -hmm. Then within, say, Indian Mound, um, it'll be alphabetic by street. And so, and then the numbered streets come last, smallest to largest. So mm-hmm. that's kind of how we laid it out. It doesn't really work like as a walking tour because right. you know, when you're walking, sometimes you have to make decisions on which way to go. <laughs> sure. So it, you, you can, though, pick it up or take it with you and walk several blocks. Eventually, mm-hmm. though, you're going to end up um, having to
0: reroute your course. Or jump back in the car. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Get to cool. the next street. Well, what kind of feedback have you gotten from, especially people here in the neighborhood who have had a chance to look at it and, and learn something new about a home down the block? or something that maybe somebody they knew owned and they never even realized the historical context.
1: Yeah, um, it's interesting to hear from people who I I don't even know and they've long since maybe moved away or don't live in the neighborhood anymore, but who have acquired a copy of the book, either they bought one or it was a gift to them, and they'll be in touch and they'll just say, oh my gosh, I know these properties, I grew up there, and they'll tell us where they live, and they just share a wealth of information and it just brings those eras back to life. For example, a lady that bought our current book um, about a month ago, she came by and she's actually now going to be a docent for us on the homes tour coming up next month. But her house was on Garfield Avenue between where you are right now and Scuola and it's been demolished. But she was able to share a lot of information on what it was like back when she lived there in the 60s. Mm. So it's really, really neat to hear what people had to say. Um, who, who see the book and, you know, they recognize the photographs and the places and the families that are mentioned. And um, to us, it's it's really important. It, it didn't matter if it was a bungalow or if it was a mansion or, you know, it didn't it didn't really matter. And it also, sadly, a lot of the properties are now gone, Right. they've been replaced or torn down. So, in any event, we um, do like to uh, make it a variety, it's not huh. something people enjoy.
0: Well, that actually seems like it would be a good transition because you mentioned the fact that some of these homes are no longer in existence. And one of the things that I've seen you do a lot on Facebook, which I think is pretty cool and, and has gotten strong feedback, was this sort of mystery house series that you put together. Uh, now, for those who don't know about it, can you explain what that is and where it came from?
1: Right. The, um uh, on our Facebook page, we'll, I'll post from time to time, which prompts me that I probably need to do another one now. It's been mm-hmm. a little while. <laughs> but I'll, I'll find a, a vintage photo or an old photo of a house that mm-hmm. either stands or stood in the Northeast area. Right. And I'll just post it and I'll say, where am I or where was I? And so people who are reading the Facebook posting, if they feel like it, they can ring in and say, oh, wasn't this on Gladstone Boulevard or was this over on St. John Avenue? Or, mm-hmm. So they kind of, sometimes people get it right away and so other times though it takes a little bit of uh, tweaking and you know it looks kind of like the house behind the museum but right. it's not and so it's kind of fun to see that conversation to hear what people had to say
0: turns into more of a 20 question situation where you have to spur uh, sperm a little bit in the right direction exactly right i give a little hints sometimes if they're kind of difficult to get where do you find those photos and kind of what drove you to start that series
1: some of the photos come from um on the uh well and there might be a number of places you can get a but in the missouri valley room They're the old um, 1940 photos, Mm -hmm. um, and they're also available online through uh, Missouri Digital Heritage. And so um, you can find, if they're in there, the 1940 photographs of these old homes. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some are missing, some of the photographs, for example, the picture of this house from 1940 is missing. Mm -hmm. Maybe they're, you know, you know, they were, you know, glued onto old folders, right. and over the years the glue would, you know, crackle and the pictures would fall out. So pictures, some got misplaced. Hmm. But that's a great resource. And then there's also um, a number of old books that were published um, around the 1880s, 90s, 2000s of new properties that were being built then. Mm-hmm. So um, since the Northeast area was really growing around the turn of the century. A lot of those homes are featured in some of those books and magazines, so right. that's where we'll get some of those vintage photos.
0: Huh? Cool. Well, I, I figured people would want to know a little bit about that, and uh, hey, if if we can kick you in the direction of throwing some more out there, I'm sure they'd appreciate that as well. You bet. <laughs> uh, speaking of historic preservation, I wanted to touch base with you just about some of the trends in Kansas City. Uh, I guess on it'll, I guess this Saturday, so uh, hopefully, if you're listening to it now, so Saturday, September 30th. Northeast High School is going to be doing a dedication for their new field. Part of that includes the the field that they built over on the middle school at the site of the former Thatcher Elementary, and that was an issue that was sort of contentious in the neighborhood. I know that a lot of people were fighting to save Thatcher at the time. You wrote a letter of support on that one, and there's been some other incidents instances around Kansas City where you know historic preservation has popped up and it's become an issue for neighborhoods as they kind of try to fight development or just try to work hand in hand with development to make sure that historic elements are kept in mind when they're doing these things and i just wanted to ask you from from your vantage point when do you decide or how do you decide when to step in on something like that and what's just your impression of this kind of give and take between historic preservation and development yeah. Um, I know it's a lot to answer.
1: Anyway. Yeah, I know, that, but those are gr- great questions and I think people who live in this area or care about this area, those are good questions that we all should face from time to time. I think that um, from a histori- from an individual perspective, y- you know, because everyone is busy with time or a limited amount of time, you do have to kind of pick and choose mm-hmm. what battles you're going to fight. So um, from a personal perspective, if I see or hear of an endangered property um, in the Northeast area that um, I think number one could or should be saved, I'll speak up about it. The historical society, we've had a lot of folks that try to say, well, why don't you all get involved? Why don't you speak up or have a rally or whatever to preserve the property? From that perspective, our historical society is about research and bringing about history. Less about activism? It's less about activism. Mm -hmm. Um, We may, individuals, Mm -hmm. choose to stand up and we do. And we may send letters from time to time or make donations. You know, of course we did for Thatcher because we believe that that property should have been kept. On the other hand, I know what you're saying because, for example, the Northeast High School, um, you know, is a very strong association and Mm -hmm. they've been very supportive of our group and vice versa. Mm -hmm. I certainly believe in their uh, purpose mm-hmm. and what they accomplish and um, you know wish them all the luck in the world i suspect even the northeast high school association may have at one time wanted to say thatcher as well right. so um you know there comes a point is it too far gone is it not i, I don't know what that answer is it's going to be you know different for every property right but um you know it's it's sad to see them go because if we chip away at it and we're just replaced by all new structures then
0: um, you know we do lose our heritage right and it, you know it's this historic Northeast that you know that's one of the calling cards and defining elements of this whole neighborhood Great point. and if you just replace it all with a Starbucks at every corner no hate on Starbucks but right. you know you when at what point do you lose that historic quality which makes you who you are that's right And and Every everything is a different case. For instance, I think well, another one that just recently got taken down—actually, this was by KCPS as well—was the Manchester School, right? I mean, that that one that they had over there, over on Truman. That one's kind of a different case because it was, you know, there's a lot of fires there. It kind of had a lot of damage on the inside. But if you look at it from afar, you say, "Wow, that's a really beautiful structure." So,
1: you know, I I agree with you, and I think I'm I'm one of these people that probably to a fault I believe. If the facade is still there, I I understand how you can't always bring it back as a school or these churches that are closing because the congregations have dwindled. I understand it it probably can't be a church again in the foreseeable future. But in order to preserve the character of the neighborhood, the appearance of the structures on the outside should be preserved. Right. And I, I believe that you invest in those even if you do have to hollow it out or gut it out and start over and build it from the inside out again or the outside in, then it's worth doing because you've maintained and retained the, per- the appearance of the structure. It still looks great from the street and looks as it did 50, 100 years ago, right. but it's also brought about to where it's useful today yeah. if it's turned into, and I, I don't know what the rest of that is, if it's turned
0: into offices or, or lofts, I, I don't know. Or and studios. you've seen that with old schools, and I, actually, to their credit, you know, KCPS has done a good job of that. Uh, repurposing it for another use and you know they've got scared elementary which they've mothballed which is kind of looking for a new purpose they've got schools that have been turned into housing you know just this week we saw the Kem- Kemper is being turned into a, a youth sports facility called Mosaic Arena you right know I mean right. well, what do you think about those those efforts to maintain and 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 those Efforts that have actually been successful in keeping these kind of properties, uh, giving them a second life, if you will. I,
1: I totally believe in it. Um, I, I think it's wasteful just to demolish it down, demolish these buildings or houses, whichever, and replace them with something that nine times out of ten, the architectural appearance to me, again, this is only my opinion, is not as appealing as it was. <coughs> so I, I prefer the appearance of the original structure mostly. Um, and I I, th- I believe that people companies, whatever they are that invest in these properties, they know they're buying something that's going to be more expensive Mm -hmm. to repurpose than it will be to tear it down and rebuild. But I believe that those um, entities, whether it's individuals, whether it's companies, I don't care. They need to be given some type of break. And I don't even want to get into the tax break thing because I don't know enough about it to really make a recommendation, but they need to be given some type of incentive to say you know something you're doing that's about it's it's harder right. it's harder to do this an you acknowledgement it that out. it's
0: harder and sort of an impetus that's right for saying well we're gonna do it anyways that's right, right. that's right sure now and and that's uh it's almost the million dollar question in a way too to figure out where exactly that balance is where the tipping point occurs where they say you know what we will put that extra money in there because it's better for the community and it's there's a benefit to us as well that's right. So, yeah, it's always a, a balancing act, but I guess we'll have to save that, uh, the solution for another day. But right. I appreciate your thoughts on that front. I wanted to ask you as well about J- Jackson County Historical Society. Executive Director Steve Noel is retiring at the end of the year. I know you've been involved with them. Uh, what would you like to see happen with that role moving forward in, in that society?
1: Yeah, the Jackson County Historical Society, I, I joined that board maybe seven or eight, ten years ago, maybe, um, and I'm still on that board, and um, you're right, Steve Knoll is the executive director, and he is an amazing uh, man and leader for the organization, and it's probably because of his tutelage and his support um, and knowledge that I joined that group or that they took, they had me um, join as a board member, and also that I had the confidence and a little bit of the feeling that I could succeed if we formed the Northeast Kansas City Historical Society. So belonging to both and being an, uh, board members of both, um, Steve Knoll um, has been a very, very successful um, leader for that organization. Um, a couple of things that the uh, Kansas the uh, Jackson County Historical Society does is, they have um, annual um, events. They'll put on plays where they'll reenact whether it's a Jesse James stage or robbery, or um, mm-hmm. wh- they'll they'll pick true stories in Kansas City or Jackson County history and reenact them. And the reenact
0: uh, reenactment of um, historical
1: events. Exactly. It might be a trial. It might be a murder trial, but it took place in in Jackson County somewhere. Cool. So it's usually in the summertime. But the people on the board are actors in mm-hmm. in the, um, in the in the play and uh, lawyers who are trying to get CLE their continuing legal education credits Mm -hmm. can go to these and they get credits for them as well so but the Jackson County Historical Society has been around for many many years I think since the 50s or 60s and they're very strong they have a couple of full-time employees including Steve Knoll Mm -hmm. um, who really believe in the history and preservation of Jackson County now they're based in Independence Mm -hmm. that's where um, the Jackson County Historical Society is. They own, um, they occupy a portion of the old uh, courthouse on the square, and they also own the old 1857, I think it is, jail that's Mm -hmm. on the square also. And that's where they house their archives and all of their, they'll do tours of both the courthouse and the jail. Uh, But it's a very strong organization. It's got a lot of very professional people on that board. And as I said, I will always be grateful to those folks because they, they First of all, they believe in the history of the area and they figure out a way to perpetuate it and to instill that in other people and to let them know that even if they didn't feel like they had an interest in it, mm-hmm. they make it interesting.
0: Cool. Now, you, do you have thoughts on maybe direction moving forward for them?
1: Yeah, I know Steve's retiring at the end of this year mm-hmm. and so um, I don't know who the new executive director will be and I haven't heard of, of folks that are applying but I'm sure there will be interest in it. Um, ideally, if I could see it, I'd love to see the Jackson County Historical Society continue to expand and welcome in other areas that maybe aren't as well known of Jackson County. Sure. You know, um, they, there are events that take place in Kansas City that the Jackson County Historical Society acknowledges, you know, um, Raytown, Lee Summit. Uh, they're also parts of Jackson County yeah. that maybe aren't uh, quite as known about their history but I think the Jackson County Historical Society could help them develop. It could be kind of a partnership sure. with helping us appreciate that historic area um, that's right here in the county
0: as well. Uh, that's a good point. Well, it, and I know that you are a history buff, first and foremost, on, on this stuff, that, especially in Northeast and, and things that are happening around here and things that have happened here. But I wanted to ask you before we wrap up, what would you like to see happen moving forward into the future? What would you like to see Northeast become?
1: Yeah, you know, it's when you live here, you kind of go back and forth. I think a lot of us do anyway, by saying, oh, I want to see it restored. I want to see it new. I want to see new people move in. And then the other side of you says, gosh, I really don't want it to change. Mm-hmm. I like it the way it is. That's why I live here. Mm-hmm. I just want it to, I don't want it to be any different. So I think there's a fine line in between because it isn't always realistic not to want things to move along and to mm-hmm. change and develop. So, but... that same token, you don't have to give up your dignity or your preservation or your architecture in order to accommodate new blood, new development um, with that. I I believe, I would like to see the Northeast area, all six neighborhoods take a stronger stand and when development does come in, say, here's the property you have to deal with Mm -hmm. and repurpose it or make it what it is you want to do, You know, run your business from it, make it your home, whatever. However, the structure stays. Right. The structure stays. So sure. that's first. So otherwise, as you know, you were mentioning earlier, Paul, if, if the structure goes away and the structures go away, we're just a new part of town that happens to be close to downtown. Right. So, yeah. Which
0: I know is always a factor when people are talking about where to move. But uh, you want to have a little bit, something extra to entice people, uh, and part of that has to do with maintaining that historic quality. And, So it sounds like you are a proponent, then, uh, of historic overlays, things like that, to kind of help keep that intact?
1: Yeah, um, I am. I I have been a big supporter of historic districts and overlays in the past, and as long as they're about preservation, I totally believe in them. I think in the last six months, here, it's become a little bit, um, maybe it's a little ambivalent, or. that the focus isn't as strong on preservation as I would like to see it, Mm -hmm. Um, and I think it should be in order to maintain and sustain these neighborhoods, Um, but um, I also know that it takes a lot of money and it takes a lot of determination and time and effort to take a stand and to sometimes, you know, stand up against development if it's not really in the best interest of the area, so yeah.
0: Well, I'm sure that certainly leaves our listeners with something to think about moving forward, but I appreciate you inviting me over and uh, being a part of our podcast. (laughs) Thanks very much. Thank you, Paul. Hope to see you on October 14th. And there you have it. That is a wrap on the latest edition of the Northeast Newscast. Thank you to Kent Dykus of the Northeast Kansas City Historical Society for joining us this week. Once again, I know Kent mentioned it at the end of the discussion, but I'd be remiss if I didn't point out that the— Sixth Annual Fall Homes Tour will be held on Saturday, October 14th from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. in the Pendleton Heights neighborhood. For more information or to get tickets, go to www.nekchs.com. Thank you for listening and have a great week.